Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story, a podcast of Worship Center. We know just how hard it is to read God's Word and understand it, so we decided to read the Bible chronologically this year and talk about it together. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey everyone, you're listening to God's Whole Story. This is Chelsea here with my co-host Ryan and Lindsay and Mandy again today. And we are, what are we doing, guys? Oh, we're in Psalms, and we are talking about more of Solomon's wisdom and prosperity. <laughs> he just has more and more stuff. I mean, it seems like there's chapters upon chapters, and it gets repeated twice. <laughs> so, okay, so the whole point is this guy, I mean, God's following through with his promise, right? I mean, that's overall mm-hmm. promise of Israel, but also God's promise to Solomon. He wasn't like, hey, I'm going to give you wealth and fame and all the things that you didn't ask for, and then like let him go. It actually came to pass. I think in it's First Kings four. Um, there's several like allusions to Genesis twelve. So like God's original promise to Abram, who was a nobody. Um, the first part, verse twenty, says the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So if you think about, it, I think he actually said stars in the sky in Genesis twelve. But it's like similar language. Like there's just going to be so many things. I think there was sand. Somewhere. Is it sands? Yeah. Is well, it sands as well? In one of the sand promises, there was sand. Yep. There's sand, sand and stars everywhere, all the time. You can't get rid of sand. I could yeah. never live on the beach. You go to the beach and you've got you sand in your there. minivan for the next year. Right. Exactly. Anyway, so can, can there you go. You're going to have so many people. They're going to show up places you don't even want. Them. Exactly. <laughs> get out of my house. <laughs> Um, so it, it's the similar language to that Genesis 12 promise that Abram and Sarah specifically are like, what? Get out. Like, that's not a thing. And then later it says, and from, so this is verse 25, and from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, each family had its own home and garden, which seems kind of goofy, like, okay, why is that necessary? But what it is, is it's basically saying like, that's Genesis we, 15. Exactly. We took hold of the entire land. It's ours. It's, it's so much ours. We had time to plant gardens. We had time to build houses. Like we are in possession of the land that God promised. Um, so it, it is, and Lindsay already talked about this some yesterday, I think that it was like, this is the fulfillment. Like that's what a lot of these passages are. Um, the next thing that's interesting to me is that first Kings four would be verse 33. Uh, it's basically just talking about Solomon, but what's interesting to me, he says he could, he could speak with all authority about all kinds of plants from the great cedars of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish, which is like, I don't know if there's necessarily a lot there, but to me, what I notice is the last time we've heard about anybody that had a, a lot of authority in naming plants and animals, it was Adam in the garden. And so I don't know if this is purposely an allusion to, um, you know, Genesis 1 and 2, uh, but it does seem like there's some level of like Solomon is so favored. He's actually doing a lot of the things that were done before the fall. Yeah. And I think it's reflecting. I also don't know if this is purposeful, like to ref- to say, to have that direct comparison. But what I do think is purposeful is this reflects their worldview. This reflects the way that they saw what it meant to be a follower of Yahweh or God. That to be a follower of God does not just mean you go to the temple. To be a follower of God means that you are fulfilling Genesis 1 and 2. You are a steward of all creation. You are, because even before that, it talks about he wrote 3,000 Proverbs. He wrote 1,005 songs. And, you know, he's doing all these things. And that Solomon is, ref- they had this view that to be a follower of God is to fill all the earth, 
steward and cultivate and take care of all of God's creation, and that there is no such thing as a sacred world and a secular world. And that very is very deliberate. We've seen that through the whole Old Testament law and all of these stories, that they didn't have this split, that there's these sacred things that God cares about, and then there's all these secular things, and God doesn't care about those things. No, Solomon knew God cared about everything. He cared about animals, birds. He even cares about the tiny hyssop that grows from the cracks. Like, this is what it means to be a follower of God, is you care about all God's creation and you fill all of God's creation doing what he's gifted us to do. And that's still true today? That is still absolutely true today. That is what we were, that's what we're all called to do, to be there. I, cause I think today I really saw this. I'll tell a short story. I saw this when I was in missions work, overseas missions work. Cause people would, when I would come back to the States, you'd be at a church or something and people would say to me like, Oh, I'm so jealous that you get to be in missions because you get to do sacred work. Like I just wish I could be, you know, doing important work to God. And so I give you money because you do the important work and you're doing the things that are important to God. And then it would always follow with this, but I just have a job in the secular world. That is a false dichotomy. It's a false vision. There's no such thing as secular world. Of course, now there's unrighteousness and there's righteousness, but there's no like God cares about church buildings and what happens in a church building. And then what lawyers do that that's secular, that's not important to him. Or what governmental leaders do, that's not, of course, governmental, like all, all of the work that God's people are called into is sacred to him. There's no such thing as secular world. As if there's like a part of creation that's not under his dominion and that he has not asked us to steward. Hmm. So that's my opinion about that. No, it's no, not, I'm very yeah, into that. <laughs> I, it's not my opinion. This has been the teaching yeah. of the church for all of history. It is actually only the recent 50 years in church history where we have decided missionaries, pastors, worship leaders, and maybe now graphic artists who make scripture memes <laughs> – are doing sacred work. I'm so mad right now. <laughs> sacred work. And then everybody else, and sometimes we'll expand it like, no, okay, mothers and fathers, they also do sacred work. No, I'm not saying they don't do sacred work. Right. Everybody, restaurant <laughs> everybody owners, uh, I don't know, mechanics, medical people, inventors, scientists, like everybody, that's all sacred. There's, there's no such thing as secular. You can't see my face, but I'm like super into this. So my silence. <laughs> I was like processing. <laughs> my silence is no indication of my interest in this. I just, because I do think as like being, I've been like, when I went to college, I went for elementary ed. I was a second grade teacher in a public school. I never once thought like that I would do ministry work in a church for my job. Like I just never even occurred to me. I didn't have a, an inner wrestle with that. Like I wanted to be a teacher. I felt yeah. like it was sacred work because I was showing up and like, loving people and loving my job. And I was really good at it. Yeah. Um, and, and then I started working in a church and all of a sudden it started becoming this like inner turmoil of like, I don't know what you're saying. Maybe I should teach at a Christian school so I could do sacred work. Yeah. Is it a waste of my time to go back to a public school where I can't really talk about God? Like I could at church. I can talk about God all day or day. 
but like, so is God not happy with that? If I go back into a place where I can't really talk about him, is that like honoring? You know what I mean? Like all and, these and questions. And that's the thing is we use our jobs and our work as the way that we make it sacred because we've been told we're out there in the secular world and that's not important to God. We need to do important things for him. And the way we do it is we talk about Jesus. Yeah. So that redeems it. It's like, oh, phew, at least this day was worth something, which of course we should talk about Jesus like all the time, right? Right. Absolutely. But but what we're saying is the work itself has no value to him. Mm. Teaching people how to read, that's not important to him. Only if you teach them how to read the name Jesus. Right. That's what I'm saying. That is false. Teaching people how to read is and using their minds and learning and being creative. That is so important to God. And it's not just teaching them how to read the scriptures. Solomon learned to read and he wrote 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs. Why do you think they estimated the amount of Proverbs, but they were very specific on the amount of songs? <laughs> That's kind of weird, huh? <laughs> At some point you lose count. <laughs> You wouldn't want to miss those five. It's probably hits, though. Probably top of the charts. (laughs) I don't know. What do you guys think? I think, as you're saying that, I'm not sure where that came from. Like, what biblical grounds do you have for secular versus sacred work? I can't. I can only think of verses that are saying, like, hey, everything you do, do it to the glory of God. And, I mean, multiple verses that are like that in the New Testament Mm -hmm. and probably the Old Testament, too. But, like, I'm wondering what happened 50 years ago that we started believing this i think Lindsay knows what happened 50 years ago i don't i think there's there is a number of things i mean probably not time but i do think some you see it most predominantly though and this is why i love this podcast when people focus more on the new testament because the new testament is Mm. it's assumed all of life is sacred they their scripture was the old testament that's what Paul read. He wasn't mm-hmm. reading the New Testament. He was writing the New Testament. And so the New Testament does focus specifically more on the building of the church. And so, but we have been teaching people, right? Like, were you ever given a Bible that had just the New Testament in it? Yeah. Yeah. And so we have told mm-hmm. people, don't read, and so don't read the Old Testament. And so if you don't read the Old Testament, you're not getting God's full wisdom. You're not getting the Genesis mandate of our original call as human beings to fill the whole of creation stewarding and reflecting his glory in all of creation. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's really amazing. I could end with one short story of a great example of this. Go for it. Do you yes, you please. Can cut it out. There's a really amazing <laughs> man by the name of George Washington Carver. If uh, hopefully people have, maybe you learned, I'm familiar. <laughs> learned about him in school. He's known as the peanut man in yes. U S history. He's an African-American scientist. Uh, really. He didn't just do peanuts. He invented over a thousand things, uh, having to do with peanuts and things. I'm was, sorry. What a like, thousand things having over, to do? You say that like peanut butter, like what? No, <laughs> like oils and medicines and okay. fabrics and <laughs> all from peanuts. All from peanuts. This man was obsessed with peanuts. That's crazy. And he and even more untold things with soybeans and cotton. Like he was just inventing. He's one of America's most prolific inventors in our history. And they actually he invented so many things that Congress brought him before to testify in front of Congress. Like how and it probably a little bit racial because he was honestly he was african-american where they were seen as like not educated not having formal education at that time in u.s history and so they brought him before congress and they asked him outright like how do you know how to do this like nobody is as prolific of an inventor and he said i learned about it from a book and they said well what book did you read and you know what he said the bible 
He said, the Bible taught me that every time I look into creation, God, I don't have the exact quote with me, but basically God taught me that I am looking into his creation and he has gifted us as humans with the ability to create and think, what would God have us to do with this? I mean, it's a Genesis mandate to be stewards. And Congress, I think, was a little like that committee was like, oh. <laughs> oh, we use the Bible for other things like <laughs> oppression and... <laughs> No, too heavy for this podcast? Sorry. A little little too heavy. But I mean, that's when George Washington Carver read scripture, he understood there's no such thing as sacred and secular. Go out into all of creation and reflect his glory in whatever area of society God calls you. Hmm. Man, I hope that that like challenges. I mean, it's challenging me. Yeah. In a really great way. So I I think I need to go read a biography about him. <laughs> he's amazing he's really cool he's a hero of mine i feel like i need to just get into peanuts more. <laughs> what else is there yeah i can think of four uses at this point so a i can only think of peanut butter <laughs> oh peanut m&ms <laughs> okay <I have> two. <laughs> peanut butter cookies <laughs> why does it all revolve around food for us <laughs> well uh, yeah we do love peanut butter Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to God's Whole Story. Uh, Hopefully you can take something away from that, whether it's peanut butter or George Washington Carver or Solomon and his apes. I'm not sure. (laughs) No, no, apes was yesterday. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Well, he still had them. Yeah. Even into today. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. First Kings 4, beginning in verse 1. King Solomon now ruled over all Israel, and these were his high officials. Azariah, son of Zadok, was the priest. Elahoreph and Ahijah, sons of Shisha, were court secretaries. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilad, was the royal historian. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was the commander of the army. Zadok and Abathar were priests. Azariah, son of Nathan, was in charge of the district governors. Zabad, son of Nathan, a priest, was a trusted advisor to the king. Ahishar was manager of the palace property. Adoniram, son of Abda, was in charge of forced labor. Solomon also had 12 district governors who were over all Israel. They were responsible for providing food for the king's household. Each of them arranged provisions for one month of the year. These are the names of the 12 governors. Ben-Hur in the hill country of Ephraim, Ben-Dikar in Makaz Shalbim, Beth-Shemesh in Elan-Bethan, Ben-Hesed in Arabath, including Sukkah and all the land of Hefer, Ben-Abinadab in all of Nafardor, he was married to Taphtheth, one of Solomon's daughters. Bana, son of Ahilad in Tanakh and Megiddo, all of Bethshin near Zarethan below Jezreel in all the territory from Bethshin to Abel Mahalah and over Jachmim. Ben Geber in Ramoth Gilead, including the towns of Jer, named for Jer of the tribe of Manasseh in Gilead, and in Argob region of Bashan, including 60 large fortified towns with bronze bars on their gates. Ahinadab, son of Edo in Mahanaim. Ahimez in Naphtali. He was married to Basmeth, another of Solomon's daughters. Bana, son of Hushai in Asher in Alath. Jehoshaphat, son of Pera in Issachar. Shimi, son of Elah and Benjamin, Geber, son of Uri in the land of Gilead, including the territories of King Sion of the Amorites and King Og of Bashan. There is also one governor over the land of Judah. 
The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They are very contented with plenty to eat and drink. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River in the north to the land of the Philistines and the border of Egypt in the south. The conquered peoples of these lands sent tribute money to Solomon and continued to serve him throughout his lifetime. The daily food requirements for Solomon's palace were 150 bushels of choice flour and 300 bushels of meal. Also, 10 oxen from the fattening pens, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep or goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roe deer, and choice poultry. Solomon's dominion extended over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tifsa to Gaza. And there was peace on all his borders. During the lifetime of Solomon, all of Judah and Israel lived in peace and safety. And from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, each family had its own home and garden. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for his chariot horses, and he had 12,000 horses. The district governors faithfully provided food for King Solomon and his court. Each made sure nothing was lacking during the month assigned to him. They also brought the necessary barley and straw for the royal horses and the stables. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding, and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Azarite and the sons of Maal, Heman, Kalkal, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed some 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants, from the great cedar of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows in the cracks in a wall. He could also speak about animals, birds, small creatures, and fish. And kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. Psalm 72. Give your love of justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. Help him judge your people in the right way. Let the poor always be treated fairly. May the mountains yield prosperity for all, and may the hills be fruitful. Help him defend the poor, to rescue the children of the needy, and to crush their oppressors. May they fear you as long as the sun shines, as long as the moon remains in the sky. Yes, forever. May the king's rule be refreshing like spring rain on freshly cut grass, like the showers that water the earth. May all the godly flourish during his reign. May there be abundant prosperity until the moon is no more. May he reign from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Desert nomads will bow before him. His enemies will fall before him in the dust. The western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him, and all nations will serve him. He will rescue the poor when they cry out to him. He will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He feels pity for the weak and the needy, and he will rescue them. He will redeem them from their oppression and violence, for their lives are precious to him. Long live the king. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May the people always pray for him and bless him all day long. May there be abundant grain throughout the land, flourishing even on the hilltops. May the fruit trees flourish like the trees of Lebanon, and may the people thrive like, a, like grass in the field. May the king's name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun shines. May all nations be blessed through him and bring him praise. Praise the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does such wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This ends the prayers of David, son of Jesse. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. 
Hey guys, this is Ryan, and I hope you are getting a lot out of God's whole story. Uh, it means a lot to us, even as we are reading through God's word every single day in the order that it happened. Um, if you want to go ahead and follow us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at God's Whole Story Podcast. Uh, we would love it if you would share this thing with your friends or people that you know, or just share what's sticking out to you. Uh, you can either send us a DM, or you could actually email us at podcasts at worshipcenter.org. You can email us if you have any questions, if something stuck out to you, if you'd like us to pray for you. And if you want a Bible, if you don't have one right now, or if you want a copy of the one that we're using to go through God's whole story, we'd be happy to send that to you. So go ahead and reach out to us in any way that you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.